This is a Saddleback Church podcast. One of the most talked about topics in society today is artificial intelligence. AI has been in a sprint season recently as we hear about advancements in language models like GPT and image generating AI like DALI. Many people have ideas of what AI could be from movies like Blade Runner, The Terminator, and even the new Mission Impossible movie. But what is really happening in the AI space? And how should Christians think about the future of artificial intelligence? My guest today is David Brenner. David was a lawyer for 35 years before serving as the board chair of AI and Faith an organization centered around equipping and encouraging people of faith to bring time-tested, faith-based values and wisdom to the ethical AI conversation. David and I talk about what is currently happening in the field of AI, how we should think about morality and ethics related to AI, and where he sees AI going in the near future, and what you can do about it. My name is Jason Wheeland, and this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, my conversation with David Brenner. David Brenner, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you today, Jason. So I I wanted to start by setting the stage because I think for people, they've probably heard about AI for maybe a long time, but maybe not have dug in deep to kind of figure out what exactly are we talking about? What constitutes AI? So I was was hoping that you could give a definition quickly for our listeners of what are we even talking about when we're talking about AI, artificial intelligence? Well, AI, artificial intelligence as a term, goes back to the mid-1950s when computer scientists uh, were thinking about what if a computer could think like we do instead of uh, just being programmed. And uh, that was a pipe dream for a long time. People started working on that at that point, but we went through several cycles uh, within the computer science world. Uh, to uh, until we got to the point where we are today. And uh, where we are today is basically a confluence of giant pools of data and specialized software that can use that data and high-powered computers. Until all three of those things came together, we uh, really didn't have a shot at artificial intelligence. And the kind of artificial intelligence we have today is narrow, specialized purpose uh, AI, uh, because it's good at doing specialized things. Uh, But we don't have yet generalized AI, general AI, which is really uh, the ultimate goal of artificial intelligence computer scientists to develop something that thinks like we do uh, across the whole range of subjects and functions that we uh, can do as humans. Mm. Mm. So so essentially what we have right now, it has to be 
programmed to do a certain thing. So I think the the AI a lot of people kind of associate with now is ChatGPT. That is what they hear about so much. And in, in what chat is essentially, it's taking all of this data, all of this information that it's collected from the internet, from whatever, from, from anything that's been published essentially. And it's just created this vast library so that whenever you put in the prompt, it can comb all of that almost instantaneously and give you an answer or it can write something for you or it can help you in this, 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 this way with, but it's programmed by all of this knowledge that it's, uh, it's accumulated. So it was built and programmed to do this. It has specifications around it, but general AI is what you were saying is almost something that can program itself. It gets set up and then all of a sudden it's just starts kind of doing what people can do. It doesn't have to fit in these specifications. Is that kind of a general look of what we're talking about? Uh -huh. Yes, that's a very good summary. Um, what happened, what made the difference uh, in the last 10 to 15 years uh, was a move away from rural-based rural, mm -hmm. -E yeah. uh, uh, computer programming to self-learning, uh, working through what are called neural networks, similar to how we think uh, it's it's a constant deep dive down into the data with a feedback loop mm. so over and over again that feedback loop keeps adding new information and it happens with massive computing power that can do that really quickly so in the case of uh, gpt4 mm -hmm. um, the box what i call the large language model i kind of think of it I'm not a computer scientist by any stretch. I'm a former lawyer. I think of it as a big box of words. I mean, it's basically like the, your refrigerator magnets, but you know, a whole lot bigger. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then, and then the software. So that's your big data pool. The software part is uh, the uh, power to go in there and query what words line up against other words. That's all it's really doing. Mm. It's uh, using uh, statistics statistics uh, calculated at an incredibly fast scale and uh, and so big to see what words go most often next to other words. And it's the assembly of those words that sort of magically comes out into sentences and paragraphs that seem a lot like the way we write and think. Uh, and so it is that combination of giant data pool Com uh, software, specialized software, and then massive computing power uh, that put put that together, and you've got something that seems more than ever before like us. Yeah, I find it fascinating to think of it's uh, really what we're talking about, and what's largely used in AI is predictability. It's 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 uh, it's ability to take all of this data and then predict what is going to happen next. Or in the case of chat, predict what you are hoping to get out of a response. We were talking a little bit before we started recording that um, Amazon for Thursday Night Football has started integrating AI into their football games. And so what it's doing is it's taking all of the plays it's seen that this team run before, and it looks at the formation that they're lined up in, and it predicts, here's where these people are going to go and watch out for these two defenders who are likely going to blitz on here. And it's shockingly correct a lot of the times because it has this wide pool of data, and it's just showing you this is probably what's going to happen next. So it's interesting to think of the predictiveness 
of it, which is fascinating. Yeah, what's, what's happening there is that it's taking the data set of every football game ever digitized as <laughs> yeah. uh, access to, and it's basically asking, okay, what happened most often in this situation, mm. right? So it's like a high-powered commentator. Or as we were talking about, yeah. though, uh, you know, which would you rather do, have that or have the Manning brothers on ESPN <laughs> just calling the game as it comes along, like yeah. you're in the huddle with them, right? <laughs> uh, so there's there are advantages to each, uh, but certainly from a human point of view, I think the uh, Eli and Peyton Manning, you know, you can relate to better than the computer. It's true. But it is pretty uncanny when it happens, yeah. just like the computer <laughs> said it happen. It is call that right, <laughs> <laughs> and and as I said, is we're just on the precipice of seeing how AI is going to advance. So we wanted to have this conversation. I'm so glad that there's organizations like AI and Faith who are wanting to step out and be at the forefront of these conversations to say we, as the church, as the faith community should talk about what does AI look like? What does advancements in AI look like from ethics, from morality, from how we use it and think about it? So I just know as, as Christians, you know, everybody is thinking this way, but I'm specifically talking to Christians at this time. We anticipate these new coming realities, and we've seen this taking shape with automation, and now we're seeing it take place in computing a lot more. So how can we as believers continue to shape AI technologies and policies to align with Christian values, and particularly thinking of issues related to like employment and societal ethics. Right. Uh, it's, um, you know, AI is it AI powers these technologies that are really just tools for our use for good or ill. Uh, and uh, it's not no different from any other tool, except these technologies are very powerful. And unlike, uh, uh, sophisticated bio uh, creation or nuclear or other kinds of things that aren't really accessible uh, to most people. Uh, AI technology is widely available and super powerful. And so that's different. And that means we need to be wise uh, in our use of it. And the people who make it need to be wise in their design of it so that it has guardrails when we get it. And uh, even if it doesn't have guardrails, that we're wise enough and know enough about it and about uh, human nature and who we are in the world as taught by the Bible and the big story of the Bible, that we can model good uses of this technology rather than uh, go along with the rest of the world and uh, using it poorly. That's not to say that lots of other people don't use it well, too. But you know, I think the key here is that the Bible gives us an understanding of who we are vis-a-vis -vis our creation. It gives us a sense of the purpose and meaning of life and uh, you know, foundational understanding that can let us engage wisely with this technology, just like any other technology, like the printing press or the radio or the television, you know, for various stages in the life of the church, when those technologies became a great vehicle for broadcasting the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm starting to see these questions uh, come up in specific settings, especially around writing, for example. The idea of a person who sits down and thinks through 
the devotional that they're planning. They spend time in the Bible. They spend time in the Word. They're praying. They're talking with God about what is it you want to say through this devotional, and then they take the time to write it out, as opposed to the, I can I can prompt chat to give me a 500-word devotional on James 1, and, and I can spit it out a lot faster. It has... Have you wrestled with what does this look like yet from a uh, um, how how should we think about this use of technology point of view? Uh, yes, I, I mean, that's one of the key things that uh, I think AI and faith exists to do is yeah. we're working with tech creators and we're also working with pastors, faith leaders at the congregational level, kind of, uh, you know, right there at the point of creation where there are many Christians and other people of faith who are working on this technology we want them to engage both their faith with their work uh you know a regular integration of faith and work around uh the values and the ethics uh and the design and deployment of this kind of technology and then we are working with faith leaders pastors and others uh and uh, denominational leaders uh organizations that are evangelistically oriented or uh, discipleship in the christian space Plus, um, you know, we want to see flourishing out in the world of science and uh, and uh, business and all these other places where this technology is used and where there are people of faith out there using it. So how do we pull those big levers to try to uh, promote um, wise creation and good uptake? That's that's our challenge. I should say that AI and Faith is a, a robustly pluralist organization. We started in two churches here in Seattle, University Presbyterian, right on the edge of the University of Washington, that was full of lots of academics and computer scientists, and uh, Union Church, which was a, a daughter church plant of University Press over in the middle of the Amazon campus in downtown Seattle. And we tried out these questions about AI back in 2017 on a bunch of folks who showed up and realized the big questions of artificial intelligence and its ethics are the same big questions we have in faith. Mm. You know, who are we vis-a-vis -vis our creation? Are we free agents? Do we have agency, free will? Um, what's the purpose and meaning of life and our work? Uh, how do we uh, uh, stick with truth? How do we promote justice and fairness? Those are the same questions that you see in the AI ethics conversation on the secular side, though not often uh, framed in the same way or even recognized. So, so that's what we exist to do. And, uh, and, and answering the question of how to use this is, uh, is really key from my particular faith tradition of being a Christian uh, I was, grew up in the Baptist church. My dad was Baptist minister. I've been a uh, college was a great experience for me of an integration of faith and knowledge and work, law school, maybe a little less so, <laughs> <laughs> but I got through it. Yeah. And then I practiced law on the edge of technology for a long time, really risk management oh. uh, and insurance. How do you manage these emerging technology risks? So I worked with Microsoft and some other tech companies and over the years until finally in 2015, I stopped uh, to see what other good things I could do for the kingdom. Mm. And with some other folks, we ended up in this space. Wow, that's, yeah. I, and it, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you did. And I'm so grateful to hear it started with these questions that just started coming up naturally and you don't have to be of a you have religion 
to be asking these questions. They're the universal questions of humanity. And it's so interesting that AI is bringing them back to the forefront. It's bringing these questions back um, to the center of conversation. And we can come at it from a faith perspective. Other people uh, come at it from other perspectives, but we're still coming at it as humans. And at least as what we believe is we're still coming at them from a place of being made by God, being loved by God, being made in his image. And so what does that mean? It's, and I love that these conversations can happen in these types of um, conversation places. And I'm so glad that AI and faith is one of those. I wanted to talk about moral AI. I've heard this phrase used, and I think it's, it, well, I, I shouldn't say I think. I'm going to ask you, what is moral AI, if you would, and how should Christians kind of think about morality with AI? Uh, it's a central question to getting to the general AI, right? Because the whole idea of general AI is that you don't have to uh, teach it specific things. Uh, I mean, we... Uh, can you code morality into artificial intelligence? That's the question. And if you can teach it rules uh, that it can then apply in all kinds of different contexts, uh, then that would be something like what we can do, right? Mm -hmm. And ought to do, but seldom, you know, often fail to do. <laughs> uh, we're moral creatures. We have an understanding of what is right and wrong based on different kinds of value systems. As Christians, our value system is grounded in the Bible, uh, God's great uh, word to us, backed by his authority and power uh, to help us um, live out uh, that word, right? Uh, so can you create a functional equivalent of that with an artificial intelligent entity, like, a, say, a robot warrior? <laughs> That's one of the places it really comes out most strongly on, on its hardest edge. Can you code the rules of war, uh, a military ethics code, into a lethal autonomous weapon such that you can let it go and uh, you know achieve what people hope will be gained by such weapons, you know, less loss of human life, mm. fewer impulsive, poor decisions on the battlefield, uh, or... Will it just go haywire and turn back on its uh, on its owner? Its yes, launcher? Skynet, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, how do you do that? Same way with driverless cars, right? Um, they haven't gotten really to the point where we can rely on them too much. I know down in San Francisco, they're driving around picking up people with mm -hmm. taxi cab. Um, you always hear still about the trolley problem. It's like this philosophical moral problem, you know, from, I don't know, the 1950s. And we still aren't much past the trolley problem. Mm. When, when a self-driving car has to make a choice between hitting the mother with the baby bug in the crosswalk, uh, baby uh, 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 stroller in the mm. crosswalk, uh, or hitting a tree and potentially killing its passengers, you know, what's the, what's the answer? Who gets to make that call? Uh, and can it even be coded into the car? Uh, even if you could code it in, the real problem is, well, who decides, right? Mm -hmm. So supposedly, I mean, one major German car manufacturer has opted to protect the people in the car no matter what, because they're the customers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then who's responsible for that? Mm -hmm. uh, 
And who else would, what other car company might come out differently? And should we be leaving it to the car companies to make those decisions? And how is that all going to work, right? It's just a question of trying to create a moral driverless car. Uh, so uh, those are questions at the tech creation end uh, and also at the government regulatory end, the legal end. Uh, there's really no reason from my point of view that um, the same laws we have now for car manufacturers shouldn't apply to the cars that you know have some greater degree of autonomy than our current cars. They're still being made by these companies. These companies are responsible for what those cars do unless there's some human intervention. It's just how the law works now with car crashes and uh, products liability and the like. So I think that's a lesson in how not to get carried away. Let's not let's not think of these things as independent operators. We made them. We're responsible for how they're used and what happens with them, right? And do you foresee... A scenario when, let's take your example of the self-driving car, where there are multiple different companies that each have used their own AI processes and their own morality views to set the parameters and set the rules for these cars. And then us as the users, we have to decide, we have to do the research to understand how each self-driving car has been manufactured and made. And we choose the company that we I agree. Like I want my car to decide to, you know, hit the tree as in save the mother with the stroller versus protecting me. So I'm going to choose this car company over this. Are we going to enter that sort of world where we have all these different options and we choose the one that has the morality that aligns best with, with our views? I, I mean, it's an excellent question because um, it could go several different ways. I think the most likely way is, uh, unless forced to, it will never surface. Uh, nobody wants to know, right? Uh, but you want the car to make the call mm. because, you know, you making the call it puts makes it you responsible, mm. right? So ideally, from a kind of fallen human nature point of view, it would be ideal, I think, uh, to just let the car decide and not worry about it and mm. uh if that's the case, the car companies aren't going to tell you. They're just going to tell you it's all okay. You know, it'll all work out fine. Yeah. You'll, you'll be safe. <laughs> Maybe they'll go that far. Or, you know, it could also be the case like, uh, you know, if you have one of those controllers on your console uh, for, you know, do you want to drive fast, medium, eco, you know, maybe it'll be that kind of thing. Uh, I want to, I want, you know, maximum enjoyment uh so uh, you know cushy comfortable mm. maximum speed push the edge you know because these these driverless cars should be able to really react and respond much better than we do as humans that's part of the uh assumption going into it fewer crashes because they can just all line up uh head to toe on the freeway at 70 miles an hour and you know work in tandem and talk to each other much better than we can uh, or maybe there will be a moral, a moral code, you know. Uh, so put me last, you know. <laughs> you'd, you'd have to hope, <laughs> put me at the end of the safety chain. I mean, that's really isn't that what yeah. our faith would want us to? Um, yeah. uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. You know, if you had the Sermon on the Mount setting, 
you know, it would spare everybody else and put you last, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, is that really going to happen? How does that happen? <laughs> How do we think through these things? So you can see why Christians really need to be in the conversation, both at the creation level and at the uptake level, at the purchasing on the floor of the auto dealer. I want a car that uh, makes the kind of decisions I can live with and be responsible for. Because no matter what everybody else says, you know, if I'm in that car, even if it's driving itself, but I have the, I'm in the loop, uh, yeah. or I've bought the car, even just buying the car and taking it out on the road, you've got moral culpability for what that car does. That's the nature of a tool, right? Yeah. Um, so we need to be thinking about things at that level as this technology comes along. We've talked about a couple of areas of technology already, but I, I'm, I'm curious, in what other ways does AI have the potential to enhance human life? And how would you say that aligns with the fundamental Christian principle of valuing human life and, and a dignity? I think human dignity is really important from the, our point of view of our understanding of who we are vis-a-vis -vis the creation. And it's also important in terms of how we use the this created thing. Um, also love your neighbor. You know, there's a real opportunity cost to not taking up this technology and deploying it for human flourishing. Um, for example, take medicine or disability. You know, one of the commonly cited applications that's actually worked with AI so far in a pretty dramatic way is protein folding. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, proteins are, are super complicated. Uh, they Part of their structure, they're everywhere, and they affect so much of human life and biological life uh, for good or ill. If, uh, the pro if the folding goes wrong, it's kind of like genes. I Believe me, I don't understand the biology <laughs> of it. I've just read the articles. Uh, but in order to um, improve and cure uh, repair situations, understanding how proteins are supposed to fold in particular in a gazillion uh, different ways, you can actually use this technology to uh, to both see the folding and uh, and refold in a way, uh, repair the problem that's causing a serious medical condition. Uh, uh, and so that's pretty exciting. It's one example because it's the most prominent. Or think about disabilities. Uh, so the lame walk. What was it, what were the signs of Jesus as the Messiah? <laughs> the, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk. Right. Uh, this technology has the potential to bypass the break in your neural system or biological system that's caused that harm, uh, and go right to the brain and uh, just input the sensory data so that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and then in Christian ministry and mission, there are lots of emerging possibilities. Uh, take GPT, for example, you know, that the, a new way of engaging with a study Bible. Uh, as long as it stays on track, if you can control the training of it, so it doesn't just give you a whole new religion of its own, but, you know, s stays with orthodox with mm -hmm. the, the Bible training set it's with, you know, there could be wonderful new dynamic ways to engage with the Bible um, or reach people in difficult to reach countries about, you know, the message of the Bible. Um, 
and even follow up with them. Right now, there are millions and millions of decisions being made for Christ around the world um, digitally. Uh, but, and there aren't enough people uh, to disciple those folks, especially if they're in a country where they can't gather together uh, easily. So here's a technology that actually has sort of an, emo- an equivalent of an emotional element to it. That's the crazy thing about GPT. It's not just like a Google search where you read it. I mean, it creates an emotional feedback loop. And it's not real emotion, arguably, but it's uh, it is in us because we respond. But, you know, that thing doesn't have any emotions. It's just uh, playing off of ours, mirroring us. But in, a, in the context of discipleship, especially initial discipleship, where people are hungry to understand, you know, it can it could be a vehicle for engaging people uh, knowledgeably and emotionally. Again, so long as it doesn't go off on its spiritual hallucinations. Yeah, it definitely takes a discernment to figure out is this is this what is what i'm seeing true and and that's where the conversation that that's where the human side of it still seems so necessary if you are being yeah. prompted or or no, i shouldn't say prompted, if you are being fed information from an ai service that is tra- is trying to point you one way or teach you one way it's good to have somebody whether it's a mentor or a a friend or whoever it is a, a a pastor, a neighbor, whatever, to talk about it with. Hey, I was I was doing my study, and it was telling me this. For the person to say, you know, yeah, that that, that that's exactly right. I'm so glad it's pointing you in that direction. Or to say, you know, I, I'd be a little, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure. Uh, I would agree with that, and here's why. And then point to the, you know, because AI, as we said, it's still in an early stage. Even even using GPT still has some issues that come up every now and then it's still learning. It's still refining its process. And so having approaching any sort of AI uh, with that wisdom and discernment and that ability to, to talk with other people, still other human people (laughs) about it is, is still an important, it's incredibly important at this stage. Right. And I think it always will be because, um, uh, there's always going to be this training element and this um, need to keep it on track, right? That's true of most tools. Uh, you have to calibrate them, recalibrate them, unless it's like a hammer that just <laughs> do one thing. Um, so let's say we do have eventually something like a GPT Bible. Mm-hmm. I think there are going to be just as many different kinds of Bibles as we have now, right? Different translations because people don't agree on what specific words mean, uh, different systems, you know, will there be a Schofield reference GPT Bible? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it's been around 120 years now already. Yeah. Um, so, it, uh, you know, we're not going to get away from um, differences of viewpoint and all. It's not going to homogenize uh, the word of God into some single perspective, Uh, but it may encourage people to uh, really engage in a new way with the Bible, especially people who um, wouldn't otherwise pick up a printed copy, right? Uh, Already we've seen how effective it is to have audible Bibles, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And especially with a great voice like James Earl Jones. (laughs) feels like God talking to you. <laughs> so how will this work? I don't know, but it's going to require good theologians, good publishers, good computer scientists, just like now. Mm. 
So how how can AI then assist Christians as they maybe think about and explore these complex theological questions? There's like there are questions that people spend their entire lives thinking through the theology of it. Uh, because it, it can be so vast, so deep, and we're talking about uh, uh, in all, you know, in all everything, a God. <laughs> so, are there boundaries where, like, human intellect and divine revelation must remain distinct? And are there, like, how, how can we, or I should say, how do you see AI being able to play in this arena? Well, I think the most important thing is to continue to think carefully about what it is vis-a-vis who we are, right? One big temptation, I think, because uh, this uh, these tools are becoming more and more functionally like us, will be to assign them qualities that are not uh, correct, to anthropomorphize these tools uh, in the case of things that remind us of ourselves, or to give them almost a godlike uh, reverence in the ways that they emulate the classic powers of the divine. Uh, I've been saying for a while that, you know, uh, Google, Google searches uh, are have some kind of godlike qualities to them. Mm-hmm. If you figure there are 2 billion people, Christians in the world, and that, you know, most of them pray once a day, well, there are 2 billion Google searches in the world. Mm-hmm. I used to wonder as a kid about, um, you know, how in the world God processed all our prayers, right? <laughs> I mean, and he loves each one of us, hairs on our head, right? Yes. <laughs> That's another example. Uh, you know, Google uh, and Facebook know us better than we know ourselves mm-hmm. because we've revealed so much of ourselves uh, to, especially Facebook, uh, if you're active with it. And uh, we can't remember all the stuff uh, we've told it, but it does. <laughs> and it, retrieves it really, really well. So that when you're, you know, doing a search uh, and suddenly you're flooded with lots of opportunity, uh, you know, <laughs> offers. <Yeah. laughs> well, it certainly learned that you're interested in something and now it turns it around and feeds you all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> and that's just one very su- superficial example. Uh, the whole way that Google and Facebook and any other uh, uh social media type uh, organizations function is to collect data from us in order to, you know, offer opportunities to others about us, voting, buying. Yeah. Uh, it's an attention economy and it's uh, all, you know, organized really around money to be made in uh, helping others make money uh, based on who we are. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's an example of wise uptake of it. Um, I think social media is a great example of how we shouldn't engage with other forms of AI, which is was pretty much unthinkingly. Mm. Uh, people just charged in. The deal was uh, you can have all this great opportunity to do stuff, uh, connect. All you have to do is, uh, you know, give away your privacy and your personal information. Um, that's all happened. We've seen the consequences and polarization and self-image in destruction in so many destructive ways. It's a good question, I think, whether social media is uh, uh, more negative than positive. Uh, Personally, I'm not much of a user myself. I don't see that 
it's an upside uh, net positive. Uh, But we went into it with eyes uh, closed. I mean, not wide open. Now we can use this technology with eyes wide open, learning from what happened with social media. And we should. That's where pastors can play a big role. And also tech creators who, you know, work with their companies or lead their companies uh, to recognize the destructive nature of a business model like an attention model and not align themselves with that model. I think what's interesting about a future with AI is the individualism that it's going to be promoted, where where all these companies, you were talking about Facebook and Google and just their ability to track your searching and then offer up ads all the time that are related to your searches. Well, imagine that on a tenfold scale where not just is that ad keep coming to you because you searched it once, but the ad is using personal things about you mm-hmm. that then starts to target that ad more to you. It makes me think of um, Minority Report, the movie Minority Report where he's walking through and then it catches his eyes. All the computers catch his eyes and then ads start popping up that are talking to him. I forget, I forget Tom Cruise's name in the movie, but they talk directly to him and promote specific ads related to things that he is going on in his life. And so I think for us, a big part of it is being aware of what is coming in terms of heightened individualism. The things that AI might be telling you might be different than the things they are telling your neighbor because mm-hmm. it's cater it's catering specifically to things in your life. And so I think having that conversation, being aware of that, and as you said, walking with eyes at least a bit more opened than we did into the social media age will be so important in, in, in the next few years, you know, months even because of how fast things work. Yeah, I think in multiple dimensions, as I mentioned, you know, there's this effective, I used to be called effective computing. Uh, Now we've got that potential in spades for an emotional response, an emotional read on you and then an emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole game with bots and interaction will be to uh, tug at our emotions Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're... uh, we're feeling people who think. We're not thinking people who feel. Um, so our emotions are mostly in charge, and uh, we need to use our uh, not only our heart but our mind to engage and our strength to resist uh, that kind of an appeal. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, there you could make the case that there are good places for that emotion, uh, comfort. Uh, uh, robots, right? Yeah. Or teaching robots uh, with autistic kids who actually engage better with a, a robot than with a human because there's no scary emotion or there's emotion that's totally under control and they can trust, right? Um, but that's kind of the outlier. For most of us, it's going to be resisting the idea that these are functionally like, a, I mean, that are, that they're actually like us when all they are is sort of functionally like us. Same way about consciousness and how we view them as uh, this whole question of whether we can have sentient robots that are conscious. Uh, I often think of heart, soul, mind, strength yeah. as a key matrix, right? Well, uh, I could be proven wrong, but I don't think these things are ever going to have 
a soul, right? Mm-hmm. The arguments are being made that God has inspired the, us as uh, his creations in our own creation. And, uh, you know, indeed, there may well be good uses for this technology that, uh, and they're a good gift from God used right, right? But uh, to begin to think that they have a soul and then they need to have rights uh, mm-hmm. and that they could, because they know more than we do know in quotes uh, about God, for example, because they're, you know, got the whole the whole library yeah. <laughs> in their head, <laughs> the whole Christian bookstore, and then, you know, a bunch of seminary libraries. Um, you know, what is that? It's not the same as blending our heart and mind into this God-designed and sparked soul, right? So let's just keep all that straight while using all that it's on offer from this technology, and we'll be a lot better off. It's fascinating. It's, I, and it's it's really it's exciting to move forward towards, but at the same time, it's it can be incredibly. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't want to say anxiety inducing because it doesn't have to be. Uh, although I can definitely see understand people who 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 view it with anxiety, but it's definitely yeah. walking with purpose in a way as this is coming. You can't unput the toothpaste back in the tube. So the science is out there and it's only getting better. So how do we then walk towards it in a way that um, is spirit-led? It is with eyes that are pointing towards um, towards how Christians, how we should be thinking about it. And so I'm, if you wouldn't mind, uh, to wrap up our conversation, I want to ask you, what do you think then is the likeliest future for AI, at least in the next maybe couple years? And how would you recommend we approach that likeliest future? Uh, well, there certainly is a possibility that of it, you know, really of having another AI winter. What happened in the late 80s uh, through about 2005, when uh, it hit a brick wall, mm. couldn't do what people expected it to do, and then every, and people lost interest. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. Yeah. It just fizzles out. Uh, the other end, of course, is robot overlords, right? <laughs> yeah. So everybody wants to talk about that uh, alongside the conversation about consciousness and sentience, but especially about whether we're going to lose control. I don't think either of those are likely to happen, certainly not the losing control in that space of time you've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, further down the road, I do think, you know, if we're not careful, we could uh, experience some real trials and tribulations. Um, or it might be the climate change changes the world and the climate so much that we don't have electricity and then we don't have to worry about it overlords. Sure. Right? I hope not. We need to get on top of that as our first priority, I would say. Uh, I think it's going to be something in between. Uh, we'll continue to see improvement in this narrow band of uh, AI. It'll be able to do more and more things. Uh, what's what scared people uh, in these, la- including a whole lot of AI scientists in these last uh, in this last year, was the speed with which the improvement happened. Yeah. Right, the the improvements from GPT three to four were astounding in just a matter of a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's the nature of this feedback loop. That's what people are afraid of: is that the loop will speed up uh, and uh, sort of algorithmically. Uh, and before we know it, it'll be too late. 
right? I don't think that's, I think, I think people, enough people are looking at that. Uh, and uh, the hallucination side of it is scary enough uh, that, you know, we'll take it easier. The real problem, though, is that we're not in this alone. We've got China and other other powers that are working on the weapons side of it. Um, got an immense amount of money to be made. All of that is pushing it faster and faster and faster. So I think the best prediction is it's going to get better. Uh, we don't know how much, how fast it will get better, but we need to be vigilant about how we use it. You don't want to overreact and miss out on opportunities for good, for the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the proteins folding uh, in the right way. Uh, but we don't want to over-embrace it and lose sight of who it is vis-a-vis -vis who we are. So let's you know find that magic middle. And the only way that's going to happen is people paying attention. Faith leaders uh, keeping up to speed, organizations like ours doing our best to help faith leaders understand what's really happening, you know, not overhyped, not underappreciated. Um, and uh, uh, consumers wisely using it uh, better than we did with social media and tech creators really getting in there and saying, hey, utilitarianism or humanism, you know, not all that's needed. We need to bring solid, deep values of the world's oldest religions, Judaism and Christianity, the Old Testament, the New Testament, to this mix. And uh, if we can do that, we will be loving our neighbors, we'll be promoting human flourishing, and uh, hopefully we'll be, you know, squarely within the big story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. David Renner, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you and the work that AI and Faith are doing. And uh, I think we'll keep having these conversations moving forward. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you, Jason. Uh, you're, you've got a wonderful church there. You know, every, I mean, such a good beacon of hope and light. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm married to a Presbyterian minister. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was applauding. <laughs> <laughs> your work on the floor of uh, of the Baptist Southern, the Baptist. Southern Baptist Convention, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I think a great many people, because yeah. you know, was it was it Rick Warren who said, "How do you advance the kingdom by having half your team on the bench?" That sounds um, like Rick. Yes. <laughs> amen. Mm. I, well, I appreciate it, and, and yes, we are definitely definitely happy to continue to be champions for women in ministry and, uh, and for, uh, and especially for this conversation and, and having, in having the opportunity to talk openly about things that are so pertinent and related to, to, um, us as, as humans in the world today. So always appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for the chance to do that. Now let's look at some next steps out of this conversation. I encourage you to read up on how people are thinking about AI and faith. I've put a link in the show notes to the AI and Faith website where you can see content from David Brenner along with other thought leaders in this space. I've also included links to a few recent articles published by Christianity Today on the topic. The best thing to do is to walk forward with open eyes and open conversations. 
There's a lot of unknowns, but when we continue to shine light on the topic, it makes us more likely to walk with intention. I want to thank my guest today, David Brenner. My name is Jason Wheel, and this has been Doable Discipleship. We'll be back with you again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.